Welcome to Free Life Church. Gonna do something a little bit different. I trust you like different. Different, unfortunately, is not necessarily better, but it is different. So I have the privilege of speaking, and I use that term a little bit more intentional than preaching, because preaching comes with it a lot of preconceived notion of what that means. But if you have a Bible, you don't need it today. Not because I don't care what the Bible says, I care greatly. Uh, if you have a pen and a pad of paper or pencil, you don't need that either. So you can actually put that away. And the reason being is that I have a presentation for you. So it is not PowerPoint, Jim, because I knew somebody as witty as you are would mention that. I was telling my boys uh, not too long ago that I was, I was younger in the past. And see, the brilliance of the revelation I give to you, I, it sounds even me sometimes. It, it does. So I was younger in the past. And I had my first job was awesome. You know, I remember actually when I had the offer and Rhea and I, this is in New Jersey. And we went to go visit. And we, you know, there's a, it's classic, right? You go and there's a sign of the company and, you know, we took a picture so I could send it to my parents. It was my first job, you know? We do stuff like that. And I was probably at that time only about 23 years old and first job. And I learned a lot in, about me actually more so. But, and I had an opportunity to go to a conference and give a presentation. So I was telling my family about this to recall. And it was, so it was actually down in the Opryland Hotel in, in Nashville. And so the whole time, I mean, if you, it's so huge. And you go there, you actually don't leave the hotel. It's so big, restaurants, lodging, everything. And so I got to give a presentation. And they say, OK, you have to get your slides. And it was literally slides, because it was actually you know, what you would, nobody really knows what slides are, actually. But, and I'm trying to describe it. But it is something you project. It's a thin film that you project through and you have an image. And they tell, okay, you have to go there and you have to load it in backwards because the projector's in the back and you have to do it, make sure it's in order. Of course, I didn't put it in order. And I almost, I panicked like for a split second, but it was, what was actually more interesting about that, it wasn't really about my presentation, but what was interesting about it, you learn about yourself. And as it turned out, and I didn't realize when I was going to the conference, but the session I was in, it was 900 people. And you know, it's on a big stage and I mean, lights and you're like, I'm, I'm this young, younger. And, you, you know, I was really nervous, really nervous, as you can imagine, because my boss is in the audience, as I found out later, he's grading me out to see what kind of potential I have. And of course, everybody in the audience is grading me. I was like, who is this guy? What is he telling me? And how good of a speaker is he? And what I realized at the time was that you're really nervous. Why? Probably, if I had to be really honest, I'm really nervous because I'm worried about how I look. If you could really be honest about circumstance and the fear of man and your insecurity and your identity issues and all, you're just really worried about you, right? And everything is fine. I thought to do something which was a little bit more like that, which is a presentation. And I'll have to be honest, I'm just as nervous in a sense but not because I'm nervous about how I look. And I was having a conversation, you know, this morning, you know, just, you know, about the worship. And, you know, you ought to be nervous because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot that we believe God wants to do. 
there's a lot we believe there's such potential in the moment and just that importance and the significance of all of that makes you nervous because it's important. And it's not so much about me being nervous about how I look, it's about me being nervous because God wants to do something, you know, through worship, through fellowship, through this time of us speaking. I believe that. And I, I would hate the thought of leaving something on the table, per se, and not actually having that come to a fullness. So the idea I had was to give a presentation. And you don't need your Bible. You don't need a pen and pad of paper, because we can, I can get all this to you. And, and specifically, this is different. I've never done this before, which is why I'm a little nervous about that. But what I thought to do, and just as a preface, is that if you've been with us over the last season, and I'm specifically the last month, you've probably heard four weeks in a row spoken on the topic of faith, which you may have had revelation, I trust. You may have had preconceived notions that may have had to be sort of resolved with what was said, and I trust that there was a lot of great outcome of that. And if you haven't, and you were challenged by it, I would encourage you to listen to them again. It's not a coincidence that Clayton following Ken were speaking about faith. And I felt to do something just in a sense as a recap of all that was said, not in the entirety of course, but a recap to crystallize in a certain way. That's my hope. And that's why I did a presentation because I would much prefer to just go and read scripture to you and work through that. That's more the way I'm wired. So presentation, as I know, some of you are very visual, and that's why I thought to change it up. And, and yet imagery is very powerful because you know how it impacts you. The world certainly knows how it impacts you, which is why it's highly designed to do that. It's actually weaponized persuasion. That's a, a topic I would love to talk about, but I'm not going to. Anyway, so we have 10 slides. Well, not literally slides, 10 images. And this is the way I felt to explain faith to you, to capture some of the ideas that both Ken and Clayton sought to actually expound to you. So just sit back, and I trust we can work through this. And the great thing about this, I, I can't get too off topic because I'm just intending to go by the slides. So hit your first slide here. This, I will say, as you start, and I apologize if some of the font might be a little small uh, in terms of the scripture reference, I have that. This, I will say, unfortunately, is a controversial slide. This slide, this picture is offensive. And if you know anything about the world, if you follow it at all, the way the world has gone, it's the idea of offense is actually something that has changed in a generation's time. Anything that makes me feel bad, somehow I feel I have the right to have you to stop because you can't make me feel in a negative way. And this yet is the Bible. And what does this say? That if you were born in this world, which all of you were, you're living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Luke 1, 79. What does that mean? If you're a son or daughter of Adam, that's you. This is your life. You are dead in your sin, in the sinful nature, and you are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is your lot. You can scream unfair, but this is the truth. And the unfortunate reality 
is you are in your sin and we know there's a wages of sin. There is physical death. And after physical death, there is a second death. Revelations 20 verse 14. And then there is eternal punishment. Matthew 25 verse 46. This is pretty offensive because this is you. This is you dead in your sins. This is the wages of sin is death. And you cannot get out. You cannot get out of yourself. You have no escape, which is why I love when in J.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, there's a picture in the minds of Moria and a people trapped and realizing that they cannot get out. And yet there is a light shining in the darkness. So this, if I were to show this slide 30 years ago, no problem. Today, not so much, but this is the truth. This is the condition of man. All right, next slide. So we know, this is a recap. We know that for a people, for the entire race of man that is living in darkness and in the shadow of death, we know that there was a light that shone in the darkness. John 1, verse 5. We know Jesus. And the significant thing to note about this is that every son and daughter of Adam was living in darkness in the shadow of death. And Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't have this here, but he's referred to as the last Adam. Fully man, fully God. He came outside of the state of man. Outside, Satan had no claim on him. He was the one sent from heaven to shine as a light in the darkness. That's who Jesus was. Next slide. Now this, there's a lot going on here, but bear with me here. There is a date, a time for each person where there was an opportunity to respond in faith, which is what Clayton and Ken referred to as saving faith, to respond to the one who came outside of our natural realm, the one sent from the throne room of heaven, the one shining as a light into the darkness. And it's through him and only through him, heresy today in the natural world's thinking, heresy, but truth nonetheless, that by saving faith in him, you as an individual, not you for your family, but you as an individual crossed over from death to life, John 5, verse 24. And once that occurred, everything, your entire destiny positionally radically changed. See, the shadow of death, and I didn't actually take the time to explain what the shadow of death is, for those that are dead in their sins, death is your lot. And the, old, the entire time that you're living this life, you are living in that shadow of what is to come. And that shadow grows ever more real the closer you get to the day, your last day here on earth. And that is the future of every individual absent of belief, placing their faith in the one who has come. And there is that crossing over from death to life. And once that occurs, your entire destiny has changed. The entire destiny of your life has changed positionally. So that when there is a physical death, there's a date that you are born again. And there will be a date. And upon that date, there is going to be a redemption of our bodies. Romans 8 verse 23. It speaks of heaven. You know, Revelations 21 4, there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain that speaks of heaven. And that is positionally, this is true. This is set. 
You have a deposit for that. It's called the Holy Spirit upon you being born again. And this now is your new lot. So your entire destiny of you in your life has changed if there is saving faith placed on the one who has made payment for you. And importantly, at the very bottom of this slide, what you need to have, and this is talking about you positionally, by the way, but you have to understand that in the very throne room of heaven, this now is true for you if you are born again, is that you have been presented wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. In the very throne, in the very courtroom of God, this is now true of you. Upon you, placing saving faith on Jesus Christ and the work of redemption and the blood that was shed on the cross. Then in the courtroom of God, you are now presented holy, without blemish and free from accusation. And that is why I can say, from a positional sense, your life, your very destiny, your very future has now been changed. This is your life. And we've been speaking about faith and not making any commentary about the church or even us. This is a great salvation. This is the greatest miracle that we could ever even conceive here today. And to some degree, we grind out and have angst about, oh, I wish I had greater faith. I wish I was like the greats and had a faith reaching them. I mean, we can't help but compare ourselves to others, heroes. But do you realize that the level of faith that you had to achieve saving faith is so monumental, so life-changing, so destiny-altering, if I was sitting face-to-face -face with you and you were whining about your level of faith, had angst about how you just don't feel like you're there, I said, I would point this out to you and in relatively benign terms tell you that's ridiculous. That by just the fact that we're sitting here, just by the fact that you're confessing to me that you are saved, born again. Understand, if you really want to break it down, understand what does faith, how did you achieve this? You put your faith in something you did not see. You did not meet Jesus personally in the flesh. Jesus came from outside of earth, outside of his realm, from the throne room of heaven, which you do not see, by words that were described of what he did, what he accomplished, and the victory that he had, the war is over. You chose to put your faith in him. Not because the preacher was gifted, not because there was anything that you could feel, see, or touch. You yourself made a decision at some point in, your, in time that you believe and you put your faith in something that you could not see, feel, touch. That's you. That's your faith. I said, well, yeah, I just said a prayer. And as Clayton so aptly said, if it was easy as just saying a prayer, then I would probably find a way to take over every radio station and every TV station and do a pamphlet drop in every country in their own language and just say this, and we'll get the entire world saved. It doesn't work that way. We know that. So you, if you profess to be a born-again believer, the level of faith that you had to get to this place where your entire destiny, your entire lot, not only in the present life, but in the life to come, 
changed. And the only way that happened is you having a level of faith, a level of faith that achieved that. And I would trust that if you just reframe your thinking, you will realize that you probably have already experienced, already operated in a level of faith that was much higher than you give yourself credit for. That's saving faith. The unfortunate reality is that while positionally this is all set in stone, this is all a guarantee because you have that deposit called the Holy Spirit, all set, nothing's changed. Positionally, you are in Christ at the right hand of the Father in the very courtroom and throne room of God, which is the greater reality. That's you, positionally, all true. But the problem is we're still here, aren't we? Now, if you're really honest about it, like Paul was, say, look, I would much rather depart, but for your sake, it's better that I remain. And we're here. And this reality, as you know, is still what we would refer to as a sphere where the will of God is contested. If you are a Christian, you are in a war. Well, I should say you're in a battle. The war is won. You're in a battle. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to enlist or not, you have been enlisted and you're now in a battle. And this is called Earth. Next slide. This is where you are. Battle zone Earth. Positionally, everything's secure. Positionally, saving faith, your destiny, your future redemption of your body, set. But we're now talking about this other faith not saving faith, this other faith that you can refer to as conquering faith. And what does that look like? How does this happen? What All the mechanics that were stated by Clayton and Ken, I mean, let's just talk about it from a very visual perspective. That's why I tried to do this. Faith, as Clayton mentioned, it's given in seed form. Just like here, there's a seed. We know what the word says. You could quote it to me from the parables. Faith like a mustard seed, the most insignificant seed but in it carries potential. And we would likely look at this scenario as being one of, well, let's talk about the seed. Let's talk about what, what do I have? Where am I at in terms of this faith and growing the seed? But that's actually the wrong way to think about it. Why? Next slide. What is more important than the seed itself, what is even more important than the potential of the seed is where it came from. This is actually the biggest issue. And, and I'm not trying to talk about the issue that most believers are like, well, I don't know if I heard God. Was it me? Was it God? I'm not even talking about that issue. I'm presuming that you hear God. Why? Because you're already saved. You heard God. It follows logically to me. For one who hears God, for one who already has a track record of faith, and now for you in battle zone earth, to have received the seed, I don't think the proper inquiry is, what is the seed? What is the status of the seed? How much did I grow it? The most important thing to consider is, where did it come from? And I just kind of zoomed out from the previous slide for you to understand the proper context of what a seed of faith is. That there is a third heaven, the very throne room of God. And in that very throne room of God, there is a reality that is uncontested. 
And that is the reality. We like to think this is the reality. This is not the reality that God sees. In the throne room of heaven, there is the true reality. And when you talk about the tabernacle and what they constructed, that was just a shadow of what was heaven. They were given a plan to construct something patterned after what was in heaven, which is the true reality. And out of that true reality, in the third heaven, there is this original vision of what that element that the seed is to germinate and to grow into. There is that vision of what that ought to be. And if you know your scriptures, and I, as I'm not here to go through all the scriptures, but now you can understand when it says that I've given you the keys of the kingdom, and what you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. This is the picture of that. It's already there. It already has been loosed. It's already real. It's already it's, it's as much tangible substance in heaven as there will ever be. And out of that, now it is to be loosed here on earth. Which is why if you have read Bill Johnson's book as an example, when heaven invades earth, this is exactly what we're talking about. On earth as it is in heaven. It's not the reverse. There is the greater reality that I receive by faith, and God gives me a deposit of that here on earth in this battle zone. And the significance, as I said, is not how I've grown the seed. The significance is where did it come from? As I was praying about this, and I'm, I'm sorting out my thinking, my thought process to make sure I align with what I see in the word, because if the word says it and I don't think that, well, quite frankly, I'm wrong. And I've walked this earth for a while, and somehow, some way, I know the fight of faith. I've fought that fight. I've had the angst. I've had those questions. And I think one of the things that starts to shift my thinking is when I understand that not only is the seed come from not of this earth, but from the throne room of God. Not only that, but also it's a reflection of his intention. It's his intention. It's God saying, I intend this to be your reality. The most faith-destroying statement anybody can ever make is, well, I don't know if that's what God wants. I don't know if that's his will. And if you have the seed of faith, not only did it come from the throne of heaven, but it's an expression of his very intention to say, this is what I want to be a reality here in the battle zone called earth. Think about that. Just imagine Think about a word that you may have received, something you're holding on to faith, and you're going through all the things that we all know that are practicals, which we'll touch on. But if you were to say, but what if I just adopt an attitude, because it's true, if it's truly from heaven, not only is it a reality in heaven, it's what he intends to be true. And so what if you're believing, something you're believing in faith for and if you all of a sudden were to grab hold of this concept and say, God, I'm going to confess to you in agreement with you that you want this to be my reality. This is not an option that you're saying, well, you know, if they're good, it could be a nice thing. It's like, this is your very intention. This is your design. This is your original vision. Why? Because if it's in heaven, in the third heaven, in the throne room, God, his will is uncontested. The only thing that would persist is exact alignment with his very design and intention. If there wasn't, it wouldn't be in heaven. Next slide. Conquering faith. So you have this seed. 
And the seed is not from here. The seed was not your idea. The seed did not come from a great book written by those in the world about what might be a nice thing for you to have. This seed, as I just said in the previous slide, comes outside of this realm from the throne room of God, an expression of his very intention of your life, for your life, and this is now what you carry. But now our experience starts to, we, we understand this, this slide makes perfect sense to us, is that when you carry a seed, there are three primary things that will attack it. And they're on the top. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I'm not going to say too much about that because we're so familiar with this, it doesn't even need to be discussed. All to say is this, fear, uncertainty, and doubt are three very well-known terms used in the context of information warfare. Propaganda. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt are weaponized to actually persuade you. It's a disinformation campaign. You talk to any well-known expert in any field of government and politics, they are so familiar with these concepts, and effectively, it's just a disinformation campaign. This is the primary attack that the seed will have from the forces of this world. Why? Because the very nature of, in a sense, having you dispel the notion that what came outside of this realm from the throne room of God is actually validly going to bear fruit in, a, in God's intention and vision for your life, well, we have to have a disinformation campaign, and the roots of it are fear, uncertainty, and doubt to bring you to a point that you say, I give, I give. So that's the three broad measures. Underneath, I just pulled some things out of Hebrews 11 that Clayton read through more than once of some of the things that are practical obstacles that were experienced by those in the hall of faith, as he said. It's the world. That's number one, the world. The world's thinking, the world's system, the world's design, the world's philosophy. This is where we live. You're getting bombarded with it every day. Weakness. We are hardwired to identify and be aware of all of our weakness. Disgrace. If you're going to be counted as a person of faith, you may find yourself in a situation that what you're believing for is so out of line with the world system so radically different from the world say is acceptable that the path that you will find you will walk one of the things that you risk is disgrace what is seen that's what your physical eyes what your natural rational mind will project out as being your current situation dead that would be an extreme form of what you see when what you're believing for and you look in the natural, and it's dead. I mean, it's black and white. It's either alive or it's dead. And if God's saying it's something supposed to be alive, but it's dead, well, guess what? There's a conflict. This is our experience. We are so familiar with this. And I could go on and how to battle each one of these individually. And I actually believe I'm destined to fail if I tried to do that. Because, as I said, the battle of the seed growing is not the point. The battle of the seed is more, is going to be won more by understanding where it came from. So in that point, 
I'm actually going to have Marie share something because we've been talking about this, and I just thought she had a really good perspective to add to this particular point. This is not me, but I just felt compelled to just go find a book to read. I was actually looking for something in particular. I went into our library, and what actually highlighted to me, and I shared this with Miss Bonnie, is um, there was this book that I bought for Dwayne years ago, and I think there was a movie. It's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And it's really not a heavy theological book. It's really just a story, and it reads as a story. So that was really good for me so that I didn't have to do too much thinking. But I just needed something different. And so I started reading it. The guy actually was dead for 90 minutes. He, he died in a car accident, and EMTs checked for a pulse. No pulse. Just a quick story is that they closed down the road, and there was a pastor who was stuck in the stop traffic and felt to go up to see what was going on and told the EMT or the police, even the authorities, that, hey, I'm a pastor. Is there anyone that I can pray for? And they're like, you know, I think most everyone is okay. And he's like, well, what about that right car over there? And he's like, oh, that guy's dead, you know. So, but he felt like God say, go pray for him. So he went over to the car and prayed for him. And um, 90 minutes later, he came back to life and where this pastor was uh, actually singing and he came back to life singing with the pastor. So that's kind of the story, but he um, starts the book by giving perspective on his experience going up to heaven. And he didn't actually go fully into heaven because as he admits, if he had, he probably wouldn't have come back. But he was sent back. And anyway, the, the point of me sharing that wasn't so much about the book, but the perspective that it left me with. It just was rattling around in my mind. And even as I was just going through some of my everyday life, um, I realized that what it did for me was it just opened my mind to a different perspective on our lives. And what I realized, you know, when I, when I think about, even as we song, sang the song this morning about you're the God of miracles, it's like I love that song. And I, you know, I think we all share the desire as Christians. We want God to be God, and we want those miracles, the miraculous, to be everyday and common. And the glimpse that I got in reading, and it's really only the beginning couple chapters of the book, what that feeling must be like walking around up in heaven. And even at the last song, I took a picture of the slide while we were singing it, um, where we said, all the earth will shout your praise, all our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. He was talking about in the story about just the singing, how it impacted him and how everybody was just praising God. And this was outside the gates, by the way, um, but he could hear the music. And, you know, I would replace this one word by all the heavens will shout your praise and, you know, all the hearts will cry, all the bones will sing, great are you, Lord. And that's kind of what was going on, you know, was the, the feeling I got. And so just now coming back to life, you know, like coming out of that picture of the story, I realize that so many times when we're wanting the miraculous, we're just, we're walking around from the perspective of our earth and how you know, if we muster up enough faith, maybe maybe we can break through, you know, break through 
to the heavens where heaven can come down. Maybe. But I realized that there's a different perspective in that if we think from the heavens on down, let's say, for instance, that the heavenly realm, I mean, let's think about this. Heaven was there before earth. That's the original. That's the original. This is not the original. But to us, because we were born into this, we tend to think all of this, the physical forces, miracles don't happen all the time. That's what we're used to. But if we consider maybe that perspective, especially as Christians, is actually upside down, and we think actually the original, that's normal, this isn't. It's a completely different perspective. And the way Dwayne and I talked about it is, are we thinking from bottom up? Which is the way I felt like I tend to. Or are we thinking from top down? Where that's actually normal, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So that's where this idea of even the seed, like our seed of faith, doesn't originate from this world. God has given it. It's a supernatural seed that comes down. And the other thing, a couple other things, and I didn't get to share this with Dwayne, but I asked him for the liberty to share it, is I've thought about Ken oftentimes because he comes from South Africa. And I remember him saying over the years how in South Africa, the supernatural, the demonic, is so much more open than it is here in in America. And I just always remember him coming here and thinking, wow, you know, he's got, he's been through so much and he's really conquered and he's got a different perspective. It's analogous to that top-down mentality in that if you are used to seeing that the supernatural, the demonic deliverance, when you come here to the States, why wouldn't you think that could happen here too? I mean, that's that's just his natural perspective. But for me personally, it's like, oh, well, but I haven't seen that as much. You know, that's, that's just not common here. So it's like, oh, you know, you listen to him and you're like, you muster up the faith. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that can happen here too. But so that's where just this idea of I'm originating from the United States, so try to imagine what happens in South Africa. Well, try to imagine what's going on in heaven. And it's just reading that to me, help me. And then the last little analogy that, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to promote this per se, but it's amazing how we as people, and, you know, my boys, our kids, you see the little boys walking around, I love the super, the super people, Superman, you know, and we're so willing to believe, especially at that age, we're so willing to believe in this idea of there's Superman. I want to be just like Superman. In a sense, as Christians, faith-wise, that's what we want to be. We want, when we say we want the miraculous, we want the supernatural, the super. And I realized, actually, as I was... um, And as you think of this image, too, I was like, Superman is actually a pretty good analogy in that when Superman came to Earth, he was from another world where who he was up there was normal and natural. When he came down here, he was 
a superpower. He had one thing that disabled his powers, and it was kryptonite. To me, the lack of faith is like the kryptonite. But in a sense, when we're born again, it's like we're born into krypton or heaven. So we're not of this world anymore. We are of heaven. So that top-down and your identity, it's all wrapped up with that perspective of, are we thinking from bottom up or top-down? So that's a very simple idea, top-down versus bottom-up. I don't have this on the slide, but in Hebrews 11, verse 2, it talks about creation, that you receive that by faith. And what it says is that, in a sense, by faith, we understand that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's Hebrews 11, verse 2. And you have to understand the context that this is talking about creation, which is prior to creation, there was nothing. Every instance of creation coming to being, everything in this universe was spoken into being, but the basis of that was from the throne room of God. There's not one thing in this world that came into being that originated from what was visible. Everything that you see is a product of what is not visible. Hebrews 11.2, that's what it says. There's no exception. There's not one thing in your life. There's not one circumstance. There's not one anything. In everything that you can look about, feel, touch, taste, not one thing that was made out of what was visible. It all, in its entirety, originated not from this realm, without exception. Next slide. So this is our experience. And the word says, rejoice in your suffering, because this is now suffering that you carry a seed not of this realm, an expression of God's intention for your life, something of heaven that there has already been loosed in heaven, something that is desired to be loosed and released into this realm, to have it line up with the word of God. And there's all this, this is disinformation campaign at work just by the forces of this world and the prince of the air, all to try and extinguish the seed and to hold on to the seed is suffering. That's what it is. I can't suffer for you. I can't. I can tell you what I've suffered through for the things in my life, but I cannot suffer for you. But that's what it is. And it says, just next slide, we're going to move a little faster here. This is James 1.3. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. And if I were to communicate anything to you today, and if you were to take anything out of today in my visuals and this presentation, it is this one point. If you are standing in faith for something that you believe, however the word came, however that basis of faith was, however, if you are carrying something, it is an expression of the very intention of God in your life because it did not come from the natural realm. It came from the throne room of heaven. That vision that you carry as a fulfillment of that seed is his very expression of his intention for your life. And in this contested zone that we are in, the enemy would desire to extinguish it by a disinformation campaign. And what Marie was talking about was that you do not engage from a bottom-up perspective. 
it's not going to work. There is a battle that you will suffer through and that you must persevere in because that's the testing of your faith. But the most effective way to persevere is to understand that it is top down. It is an expression that this is God's intention, fully developed, fully provisioned for, fully desired to see become a reality in your life. And to hold on to the vision is to just agree with that statement. That's why top down will extinguish every single argument that the bottom up would have to engage in. And it's been said here, Clayton said this, because we see this in hyperfaith and in different things like, well, what do I do with my reality? It's like, and some people just can't even get to the place of confessing their reality. Well, let's just take it in a very simple example. Take a situation in your life that's dead. It's dead. Dry bones, I mean, it's dead. Not gonna happen. There's no physically possible way it's gonna produce something because it's dead. It's dead, buried, whatever. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh, it's not dead? Is there any problem in acknowledging it's dead? No, there's no problem acknowledging it's dead. Why? If I hold on to top down and say, God, in your vision of your intention for my life, this thing is not dead, but I see that it's dead. And there's a, now a conflict. Not dead, vibrant, alive, life, intention, desire, fully vision, fully provisioned for, and yet it's dead. I'm not going to grow this out of this. It's not going to happen. What has to happen is this now has to replace in its entirety and now become the reality. In Luke 17, verse 6, it talks about faith as a mustard seed. And it then goes on to say, interesting enough, it says, you know, if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, it's actually, I think, called a sycamine tree, you could say, you know, be uprooted and be cast into the sea. And I've been thinking about that because of this. If that represents what is the reality on earth, and those, that sycamine tree actually has very deep roots, that you've almost cut it down entirely, it's just going to regrow because the roots are so deep. If you want a heavenly reality to replace an earthly one, what actually has to happen is the entire system, structure, has to be uprooted in its entirety and cast in the sea so that what is now solely of heaven is going to be the basis for it being produced. If I start to engage on all of these little things, well, you know, I'm not seeing it. Looks dead. It's like, how is this thing going to come alive? This is bottom up. Top down says, look, this doesn't line up. This does not line up. And the enemy will remind you every reason why it doesn't line up, why it's not possible, why you must have heard wrong. Every attack will be its disinformation to convince you that there's no possible way what you see is going to produce this. That's bottom up. Top down says, I see all of that. I acknowledge all of that. Abraham said he reasoned before he was to sacrifice Isaac. He was thinking this through. He was like, I don't know how this is gonna work. And he said to himself, I guess God's gonna resurrect him. He reasoned, that was the reasoning of his mind. Of course, that didn't happen, so he was wrong. But what we're saying is that this entire, every rational thought, every possible way that you can imagine this in on earth producing what is here, not gonna happen. I acknowledge all of that. I said, God, I don't understand how, but this, this is going to be cast out, uprooted, and removed, and this now is going to replace. 
And that's the way I can have an ease by which I can acknowledge everything that is here on earth and yet still believe for what is up here. I don't have to know how this is going to be replaced. I just know that what here, that he spoke to me, that I carried his intention, his desire to replace, to engage on the how is this going to happen. My, that's if I were to put a probability on that's like under 1%, that's bottom up. You're destined to fight a losing battle. And that's the significance of top down. This is a battle that you may have been in for 10, 20 years. Whatever you believe in, in faith, that you still carry, that the seed is still there, and you still are suffering through it, and there's a testing, and you're persevering through it, my encouragement to you is this. You are a man, woman of faith. If you're a believer, you are. By your very nature, you are a person of faith. And if you carry something that has a seed that was not of this world, the very intention of that seed being given you, to you is for it to become full, expressed, God's intention in your life. Period. 10 years, 20 years does not dissuade me from that because the origin of the seed is not from here. That is my message to you. And you have suffered. And if you are being tested, because you will, perseverance. Now, let me tell you why. Aside from the obvious of you, in a sense, having the fullness of what you see, please hear me when I say this. It's not all about you. It isn't. I'm encouraging you, but it's not all about you. Next slide. This is just to give you a bigger picture. This is now James 1 verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work. Let me say that again. Perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not my words, James 1, verse 4. So you carry a seed that's not of this world, God's intention for your life. Every part of the world says, hey, engage with me, bottom-up thinking, because that ain't happening. In fact, I will show you daily, I will whisper in your ear every reason why what you believe you're carrying is ridiculous. And you say to yourself, no. I'm not engaging in bottom-up. I believe this is God's expressed intention for my life, establishing the throne room, having already loosed there, so now I want to see it loosed here. And I say, well, we'll see about that. That's what the enemy says. So you persevere, because that's the test of your faith. And in Romans 5, it says, rejoice in your suffering, because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. What happens when you perseverance finishes its work? You are now mature, complete, not lacking anything. What does that mean? It has to mean something. Let me tell you what it means. I want to preach this another time. But for those that have persevered and perseverance has finished its work, you know what's happened? You've won. That's what's happened. That God's intention for your life has actually now come to fruition in your life. What he desired has now come to be. And guess what? You've won. Winning. I love it. I want more winning. But let's talk practicalities, because there's a reason for that, because it's not even about you. When you've won, and if you lived in, I don't care where you are in your life, you know when you've won. You know when you've persevered, stuck it out, and overcome, and now you've won. One of the things that's happened to you 
is something of you has changed. That's your character. You know, we've had graduates standing up here. You know what I can say about every single graduate? They've achieved something. If I were just to micro-focus on their lives, says, well, okay, there's two possibilities for all. You either graduated or you did it. Two possibilities, because failure is an option. I say that in my house. It is an option. If you don't graduate, you are of a something character, but now that you have graduated, you are of a different character, because you've won. Now, you, having now your character changed, now recognize that, wait a minute, you know, not, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I'm actually pretty good at something because I did something that not everybody did and your character has changed. What also has happened? What's the, the further benefit of that? Hope. Hope has now entered into your life. Why? As Clayton said probably 50 times over the last three weeks, hope is a joyful expectation of good. If you've overcome and your character has now changed, your very expectation of what is to come in the future has shifted, that's called hope. If you've won in an area of life, well, guess what? In that area of your life, you actually believe you're gonna have more victory. You're not taking a poverty and failure mentality into an area you've had success. That doesn't make sense. You've won, you're gonna keep winning some more, and you're gonna keep growing. Your character has changed, now your expectation has changed because your character has changed. That's called hope. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And you say, well, that's well and good. Why does that matter? Last slide. This is you. This is your life. This is conquering faith. Each of these, this, all this is intended to represent is you have many different areas of your life that you're holding on in faith, that you're pursuing and persevering, and you've had different levels of victory in different areas of your life. And in some areas, you've got a lot of victory. And what's changed in you, your character, now your very expectation of what should happen into the future has changed. It's like this part of you has just expanded. Point of it is that you are now the light of the world. That's the point. Why do I say this? If you're struggling in the area of your life, who are you going to go to? An expert, I hope. Somebody who can encourage you. Somebody who's going to bring life to you. Why? Because they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, small adjustments. Man, you're so close. Small adjustments. I've been there. I understand what it takes. Man, just small adjustment. Boom, you got it. You want to go to that person or you want to go to the one that's like, oh, yeah, been there. Yeah, it was really bad when it failed. I mean, you might want to take some provision, see, you know, pro, you know, take provision so that, you know, when it fails that you'll be okay. One speaking out of victory, one speaking out of failure. Who are you going to go to? I would hope you go to the one that's going to bring life to you. That's you. That's you. Every single one of you has specific, specific talents and gifts intended to bring victory in your life so that you will now become the light of the world. That's you. So it is about you, but not all about you. So let's just stand. We're going to close. I trust that just as you were seated there listening to a presentation that you were reminded of your life. I trust so, because I believe that God brings to mind, he brings to your mind a reminder of what he has said. And I trust what he brought to your mind was an area in your life that you have not necessarily seen the breakthrough that you believe that you already carry as an expression of a realm, not of this realm. I'm just gonna pray into that. 
Lord, I thank you for these people of faith. They have put their faith in you in its entirety, that their very lives and destiny are now bound up in you. They are in you. And I thank you, Lord, that that expression of faith is going to color every single perspective of this reality that we now live and the perspective that we now carry into the very future that we walk into. And I thank you for every seed of faith that you've revealed, made known, and placed into each of us. I thank you, Lord. And I thank you that that seed is an expression of your very intention for us. It is your desire. It is not an optional add-on. It is your intention. And I pray for your people right now in the name of Jesus that you will enable all of us to persevere. And that, that perseverance will come to fruition to have your reality replace what is now seen and understood here right now. And I pray an encouragement for your people to say this, I believe in you. I believe in your intention for me. I believe that what you desire to do in this life is of you. And because it's of you, I say, let it be. Let it be. Let it replace every semblance of a reality that we see, feel, and touch in the here and now. Let your kingdom reality, let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you, Lord. Amen.